You turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, just three verses this morning. Paul has just finished giving us an admonition. That admonition is a strong one. He says, if you want to not fulfill the lust of the flesh, then you must walk in the Spirit. What follows now are two lists, and they are contrasts. The first one is negative, the second one is positive. And you can look at it this way. God would be very unfair if he asked us to do something and then did not give us the ability to determine for ourselves whether we're meeting his standard or not. He's given us a test engine light, a check engine light, some simple diagnostic tools whereby we can look at our own life and judge for ourselves whether we are, in fact, walking in the Spirit or not. You see, if we're going to walk in the Spirit, it behooves us to know what not walking in the Spirit is. Amen? Because very often, it is the negative examples in our lives that are the most useful to help us directionally. When I know something is amiss, it makes it easier to correct the problem to the right direction. And so the Apostle Paul, as he writes, by the Holy Spirit, now gives us that simple instruction. And there are times, church, uh, most of the time, I would say, that your pastor is primarily a teacher, and there are times when your pastor needs to be a preacher. Today is one of those moments. And so I'm going to ask you to listen with ears to hear what the Spirit would say to you today, to me today, as the Spirit speaks to us through his word. Would you join me? We'll pray. We'll pick up in verse 19. Father, oh, how we need this message your grace is so wonderful and so marvelous and free that, Lord, we might be tempted to abuse it. And so, God, we pray that you would help us now to receive from your spirit an instruction that for some today will be hard to hear. And we pray that you would just enlighten us, Lord, by your word. Uh, encourage us. Lord, those that are downcast, lift us up. Those that need in strong instruction, God, give that to us. Uh, bless us as we study your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And so he begins now, the works of the flesh are evident. And I want you to underline that, highlight it, or circle the word evident. In other words, there is evidence that you are walking in the flesh. There is a way for you to know that you are not walking in the spirit would be another way to state this. There is absolutely evidence if you are not walking in the spirit, which are. And now we're going to get a list and I want to explain something to you because this list is not just found here. It's found in at least eight different places throughout Scripture, and we'll highlight some others of those as we go through this morning's message. But this is not the only place a list like this is found. 
The reason this list is important and what I would like you to begin to do is to look at this in the intent in the original language. These values are comma-separated. There is no assignment of severity. It isn't one or the other. It isn't these things are a six, seven, eight, nine, or a ten, and these things are a one. These things are simply a list. This list is neither inclusive. In other words, it does not include everything, but it is representative. And so it's important for us to understand the intent of the Holy Spirit in writing this particular list. This is to cause us to do exactly what Scripture encourages us to do, to check and test and see if we are of the faith. To actually ask ourselves, are we God's children? And why is that important? Because there is a false faith. You can come to the wrong conclusions about God, And you can begin to walk in such a way that one could look at one's own life, not that I will do it or anyone else should do it for you, but that you could look at your own life and say, well, God approves of my sin. God's okay with the things that I do because after all, I am awesome. I am a Christian and I walk in grace. And so he gives me a free pass on my bitterness. And the reason I'm saying this this way to you is because we'd all probably sit around and go, you know, it's not good to be a murderer. That's not okay with God. We would probably all agree that it's not good to be an adulterer or an adulteress. That, that we would probably all agree on universally throughout this room. But how many of us would say the same thing about jealousy, envy, strife, gossip? Here's a big one. Close your ears. Vanity. You see, sometimes we take God's word and we make it fit what we can do. We say, as long as I don't do the things that I think are problematic, I'm okay with God. And so this passage comes to us as a diagnostic tool. Let's read these things, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelry, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not Inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Anybody feel pierced a little bit right now? Anybody feel like you don't meet the criteria on that list? That's a good thing. That's exactly how you should feel as a child of God. You should look at that list and go, man, I've got some work to do in my life with the Lord. That's what its intent is. It's not intended to just simply make you feel bad about your failures. It's intended for you to diagnose the problems in your life so that you can look at them and say, you know what, I really need to fix that. I need to give that thing over to the Lord. I need to surrender these things to God. 
You see, he gave us a command, and then he showed us the conflict last time, and now we can absolutely say, look, my flesh is not dead. Amen? My flesh isn't dead. Is your flesh dead? My flesh is not dead. There are times when envy creeps in. You know, you look at something that's going on in someone else's life, and you go, you know, I mean, they're a heathen scum. Why do they have that? And I'm trying to personalize it for you so that you can understand the problem. The problem is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? There is none righteous, not one. Amen? Why, why do we need to remember these things? Because that is the cry of a believer, not just an unbeliever. As a believer, I still have work that God's doing in my life. And so do you. And so what a contrast these things become. This first set of diagnostic tools. And I want to begin by just breaking these into three very simple categories. And the reason I believe these categories exist is because some of us deal with these specific categories quite easily. But one of them is almost assuredly going to be an issue for you. And so the Apostle Paul, as the Holy Spirit directs him to write these things, talking about the work of the flesh. And I want you to notice this because when we get to next week, we're going to see it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the outflow of being grafted into the vine. But these things are work. You've got to work as a believer at sinning. You, you have to deny the Spirit that's in you, and you have to ignore the things the Spirit is saying to you. And so we are contrasting, if you will, the works of the flesh. And I've given you some of those other lists, and you can jot them down. Remember that you can download these from the internet. Go to our website, and these things are available to you all of the slides. So you don't need to write them down. You can simply download them. The truth of the matter is, exactly as Jeremiah prophesied, the heart is deceitful. It is desperately wicked. And here's the killer you don't even know exactly how wicked you are. You've got some issues in your life. And every once in a while, have you noticed that sometimes things just pop out of nowhere? It's just like you're doing great with the Lord, and all of a sudden, boom, some contention boils over into your marriage. A little bit of anger, something you thought was dead in your life, and there it is, it pops up. You you thought you were fully over that. Somebody says something, somebody does something, something happens in our world or in our nation or our state, and you're just like, ah, man. It's because you're still in the process of making your way to total sanctification in Christ Jesus. You're not done yet. You're a work in progress, and so am I. And so we're on this journey And so Paul reminds us, look, there are some things here in these lists, and you can see them very simply. There are sensual or sexual sins, adultery, uncleanness, lasciviousness. There there are things that attack the moral fiber, the moral character of who we are. There are things that we are internally predispositioned to do. God created you. If you're here and you're a human being, he created you to enjoy sex. But he did not create you to misuse it. And so internally you have a desire. Externally the world says, use it however you want. 
So there are sensual sins. There are also spiritual or superstitious sins, things that we would look at and and say they kind of are directly tied into those things which relate to our relationship with God. And he just really mentions two, idolatry. You could even say witchcraft. It's basically having a false god. And so there's a second set and a third set. And we would call those things social or societal. They are how we relate to other people. So I want you to see this. There are things innate within you that you can abuse. There are things that are in you that you relate to God with. And there are things that you relate to other people with. That pretty much covers the full gamut, does it not? That would actually explain an awful lot of things when you look at our world. Because that's the problem right there. So what are these deeds of the flesh in that sense? What's going on with you? What's going on with me? You see, none of us in this room can say we're without sin. Amen? We're just not. If you do, you're simply admitting to the fact that you have sin because you are deceived. You're a liar. You'd have to look at your own life and say, if there's somebody in here who's perfect, then you, we actually have a visit pre, post-incarnate of Christ because he's the only fully righteous one, amen? And so the rest of us, we're a little short of that. And so what happens is we start basing our assurance of who we are in Christ on what we do. And here's how it works. Instead of comparing ourselves to these lists... Instead of looking at it from God's perspective, I look at me from my perspective. And guess what standard that is? I am awesome and you are not. I am perfect, you fall short. I set my own standards for how I ought to relate to God and I can meet those standards, but you can't meet my standards. You you see, we pick out standards that are of our own making. And so God gives us very clearly some standards that when you look at them, it's like, man, do I need some work? I got some issues. And so he's really saying, look, when you look at this, hey, uh, knuckleheads, check this out. When you see this stuff, it's not from me, okay? That envy, that hatred, that anger, that bitterness, that vanity, Well, how about this one? Forgive me, I'm going to say it anyway. Gluttony. You you go in there, you you know, I don't know about you. See, we were in in Europe. Europeans got it nailed. They serve smaller portions. They have no bladder buster sized drinks anywhere. You go into a truck stop and you go in there, the biggest thing they got is 20 ounces. We go in, it's six gallons. There's enough sugar in there to kill 10 people. You got diabetes before you leave. Can I tell you the Bible actually says gluttony is a sin? Oops. You see, we start to make, well, my next door neighbor, I mean, I mean, he watches porn. Yeah, well, you spend all day at a buffet. kind of even stuff out, doesn't it? 
Kind of puts us all in the same boat, doesn't it? Kind of levels the playing field, doesn't it? You see, because I could survive probably one or two of these lists fairly easily. But somewhere along the line, I'm going to see the need for the grace of God in my own life. The works of the flesh, Paul says, are evident. Jesus in Mark chapter 7 says something very unique, and I want to read it for you. Verse 14, excuse me, verse 20. We'll pick up there. I'll shorten it a little bit. That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. You notice what it doesn't say there? It doesn't say you're a product of your environment. It doesn't say that you can't help yourself because you're genetically predisposed to sin. Notice that what Jesus says to us is we have an internal problem. The problem is not the things at the outside, which can affect you, by the way, but they only affect you because you have an internal problem. He goes on. It's out of the heart of men that proceed evil thoughts and fornications and thefts and murders and adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Ow! Why do you have to say that? Because here's what happens. I have to go, that's Jesus, he's God, yes and amen. You see, what it does is it puts me on notice that I am prone to the deeds of the flesh, and so are you. It puts me right back into that category of there's none righteous, not one. You see, here's our problem in the world that we live in today. And there's only two possible views of your nature. Either man is basically good or man is basically evil. The Bible clearly teaches that man is basically, internally, evil. And you say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, then you don't agree with God. You don't agree with the plain teaching of Scripture. Begins all the way back in the Psalms with David. He said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. We call this a doctrine of original sin, that every single person is inherently sinful. Now, that doesn't mean that we're hopeless, and it doesn't mean that we can't help ourselves. But what it does mean is that every last person has a problem with sin. Every one of us needs a Savior. You see, the biblical view maintains the opposite of the humanistic view. The humanistic view says man is basically good. And if left to his own demise, he will always do good things. Does anybody believe that? I can prove to you in about three nanoseconds that's not true. The world. Look at the world. And ask yourself a simple question. Do you see any place where man is involved that the world is perfect and always does good? And the answer is no. Even in the best society on the face of the earth, which happens to be the one that we're a part of, the United States of America, we got some serious issues. Amen? Anybody seen man's inhumanity to man here in the U.S.? I have. 
You've seen people taking advantage of other people? I have. You've seen people with and people without? I have. You've seen people falsely accused? I have. You've seen marriages fly apart that are Christian? I have. You understand what I'm saying? Mankind is inherently evil. Now the good news is, the Holy Spirit in you is the answer to that evil. That's how it gets controlled, and that's what we'll cover next time. But make no mistake, there are symptoms that are very simple for us to see. It is not our lack of social programs. It is not that we don't spend enough money on solving them. The reason we have the problems we do is that man is inherently evil and will take advantage of other people. I've had the privilege of traveling around a vast majority of the world. And I can tell you there's something very consistent. You can do really good things and people will figure out how to take advantage of it and use it to abuse other people. Let me give you a couple of examples. The World Food Bank. The World Health Organization. Do you know how much of those goods are actually stolen by groups of people and then used as leverage against their fellow citizens in Africa? It's mind-boggling. Do you know how many good social programs we have that we fund that the money never gets to the people it's intended to help? You see, without Christ, without that redemptive work, even the good things we do get polluted. And so this passage speaks to us diagnostically. It says, look, Jeff, as long as you're on this earth, you're going to have some stuff in your life that you're going to have to deal with. And so I want to spend just a little bit of time before we get to the conclusion of all this in seeing what Scripture says about these things. Here's the symptoms. The first group, the sexual group. Paul uses the word immorality in English. It's actually the Greek word porneia. And it includes every single type of sexual sin that you can possibly imagine. It includes adultery. It includes fornication. And yes, that would be having sex with somebody that you're not married to. That's fornication. As far as the scriptures are concerned... You can justify it all you want by saying, well, we have sanctified fornication. Because we intend to, to have a relationship. No, God doesn't look at it that way. God looks at the commitment first, and then the sexual relationship happens afterwards. It's not the other way around. You play around until you find somebody that you want to marry. That is not what the Bible teaches. And so when we look at these sexual sins, we have to see them the way God sees them. And he condemns every last one of them, cover to cover, Old Testament and new. So it's homosexuality and every other kind of perversion that you can think of. So when someone says, I am a Christian homosexual, they have a problem with the Bible. They don't have a problem with me. They have a problem with acknowledging the plain teaching of Scripture. Because Scripture says, you cannot be one of those. We'll get to the good news in a moment. Because you can be a redeemed one of those. Amen? Hallelujah. But we have to agree with God. He said the works of the flesh, what did he say? Are evident. 
You can know what they are. There's evidence that you're not walking in the spirit. What does he say at the end? And those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The habitual, unrepentant, absolute practice saying this is my life this is who i am i identify with these things if you identify with a clear sin issue that the bible plainly says is not okay with god you have a problem with the grace of god the bible does not give you license to live as you please you were bought and paid for with the price of Christ's own blood. You do not any longer own yourself. He owns you. He owns me. And so we're to live that way. This is a diagnostic tool. Impurity. It means anything that's unclean. It was used medically of something that's oozing with an infection. It's dripping pus. The reason I'm making this easy for you to understand, it's pretty simple to see things in your life that from a spiritual perspective are dripping with an infection. Amen? It's not hard. Don't make it hard. Don't sit around and try and justify it. Say, you know what? That's infected. Sensuality. And I want to focus in on this one for just a moment. Here's the problem that we face in our country. We have unbridled sensuality as a daily way of living. Everything is sexualized. You you can't buy clothes. You can't buy a candy bar. You can't buy a hamburger. You cannot go anywhere without being absolutely assaulted with sexuality. And yet God says, that's not the way of the believer. That's not who we are. And I have people come to me, oh, well, you know, it's just, gen-. no, it's not genetic. Jesus said, it is inside of you. Don't forget, Jesus said that, not Paul, Jesus. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, said that the problem is internal, not external. So while it is a horrible world that we live in, you absolutely do not have to cave into those things. Nor do we have to agree with the world's assessment of how we should live. You see, we're being fed lies every single day. I have people come to me, well, you know, it's been proven that homosexuality is genetic. It has not been proven that homosexuality is genetic. There is no medical proof. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There's a handful of studies that have been done involving primarily twins and their genetics. And it is only predisposition towards those things. It is not a predilection to. You do not have to do them. And so all of a sudden, well, you know, God just missed it when he used that word. What's the fruit of that lifestyle? Because we just had an AIDS walk, right? Let me explain something to you. Go to the CDC's website, the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, and I want you to look something up. What is the infection rate for the new cases of AIDS in the United States of America? You're going to find out that 86% of them are homosexuals. You think God knew what he was doing? He said, don't do it. It's not for you. Don't live that way. We have to reject the sin while still loving the sinner. We have to call sin what it is. 
The Bible clearly says these things. The Bible is not unambiguous. The Bible doesn't just go, well, you know, just whatever. You know, if you get it figured out later, I'm not going to worry about these things. No, the Bible cover to cover talks about sinful indulgence, unrestrained sexuality, and what it does. It has always destroyed. It continues to destroy. It will never do anything but destroy your life. I told you I was going to preach, so I'm preaching. Amen? Now, you can say it's not going to affect you, but you're going to be wrong. The second group, and this is an interesting one, because it seems to indicate that it's, you know, these idolatrous things like a false god or perhaps a false religion. But what it actually says is that we need to be very careful about pharmakia. Anything that alters your state of mind. And yep, that would be some versions of yoga. That would be transcendental meditation. That would be Hinduism and false gods. That would be all those things. And oh, by the way, guess what? The smoking of medical marijuana. Alcohol that changes your perception of reality. You see, you need to be really careful because the Bible is actually quite a bit more specific than we like to be. The Bible's actually speaking to us, look, we shouldn't have anything to do with these things because they put your mind into a place that you are no longer governed by the Spirit, but you are open to the suggestions of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Probably isn't a person in here that doesn't know somebody who did some dumb thing because they had a couple extra beers. Right? Am I right? I am right. I can tell you I'm right because I got to deal with it. Right, you can sit and say, well, it's not me. And you know what? You might be right. It might not be you. But what about the person that you're encouraging that isn't you? Because the Bible says you need to be concerned about your weaker brother too. So we can justify these things. We can say, well, I have a liberty to do that. And all this discussion we've had in the first four chapters leads us to this place where we're free in Christ to be sure. But look at this. You're not free to live as you please. You're free to live to please him. That's where you're free. You are the freest when you are the closest to being like Jesus. Amen? So that false God could be that trip down to the dispensary. Just saying. When I look over the top of my glasses, that means I'm not looking at anybody specifically because I can't see you up there. A third group. Human relationships. And please look at these things. If you're married, please look at these things very carefully. Enmities. Hateful attitudes. Strife between individuals. Anybody ever had that in, you know, in your marriage relationship occasionally? Happen? Can happen, can't it? Jealousy. It's actually a form of anger, 
that leads to hateful resentment. You think a few people in America deal with that? Hmm, wow. Remember what this is, diagnostic tool. Not saying you're not saved. It's saying when you see these things, it's flesh. When you live this way, you got a serious issue. When you refuse to be freed from it or you will not acknowledge it, you've got a problem. How about outbursts of anger? Hostility towards people. People for whom Christ died. If you love not your brother whom you have seen, Scripture says, how can you say that the love of God dwells in you? You get it? Puts us kind of on notice, doesn't it? Maybe it doesn't you, it does me. I'll tell you, it puts, puts your pastor on notice. You mean, Lord, I'm supposed to love the unlovable? Uh-huh. Yes, Jeff. You're supposed to love the unlovable. You're supposed to be like me to them, and I love the unlovable. You're not supposed to return evil for evil, but rather give place for the vengeance of the Lord. Amen? If God needs to spank somebody, he's able to give a whooping when he needs it. Amen? You see, but sometimes we just, you know, I just got some righteous indignation. No, that's actually your flesh welling up, and you want to take care of the issue right now instead of giving it to God. The strife. And I want you to notice that some of these things are linked together. When you have one, you get the other. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like if you walk around with enmity in your heart, guess what you're going to have towards people that you express that enmity towards? You're going to get strife. If you have anger, guess what you're going to get? Jesus said it. You might just murder your brother. Ask Cain and Abel how that worked out. You see this diagnosis of these things, these disputes and dissensions and these fracturing things, fractions. They're just general sins. But they're precursors. They're things that you can look at and go, man, I'm walking around constantly disputing with other people. I'm always having arguments with everyone. And he finishes with drunkenness, carousing, party lifestyle. You see, Scripture says that actually Christians don't belong at keggers. The tailgate parties where everybody's getting hammered is not where you should hang your hat. Some of you are going, oh, I can't believe he said that. I'm just sharing the Lord, brother. <laughs> Can I tell you something? You don't need to jump into a cesspool to know it stinks. Just saying. You see, sometimes we, we try and justify it. And again, you need to have non-Christian friends. This is believers. Non-Christian friends. You need to minister to them. But if you have a group of Christians getting together and say, you know what, we're going to go have some microbrews, talk about Jesus. Tell them, no, we're not. You're staining the name of the Lord Jesus. You're bringing Jesus down to the world's level. We need to lift him higher. I need to leave Jesus where he belongs in heaven. I don't need to cover him with the things of this earth. I want to close with really what is the good news. 
It comes in the form of a warning. Paul says, I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you in the past, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And I promise it'll be good. Because the fact that you even care is a sure sign that you're one of God's kids. Amen? There's the good news. But if you don't care, you have a problem. If you don't agree with God, you have a problem. And so it's really easy to see which side you're on. It's very unfortunate. If you have a King James Bible, this is another one of those places that I want to point out to you that the King James is sometimes inaccurate. It uses that they which do such things, and that is not what it says. Because the word there is prasoo, which means to make habitual practice of. It doesn't mean that you went out and you had a couple of beers with your friends. It means that your life is absolutely indicative of that behavior all the time without repentance. That you're a constant partier. That you refuse to leave that relationship which you know is not pleasing to God. That you are always getting drunk. That you constantly use filthy language and you don't care about it. That you are a homosexual and you're proud of it. Do you hear what I just said? It's not someone who struggles with same-sex attraction. It's not someone who has a problem and God's working that problem out in their life. It's the person that says, God, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm going to do what I want. That's why this is good news. Because when the Holy Spirit enters into you at salvation, you have a built-in GPS. Remember our study. You're wandering around going, you know what? That's right. That's wrong. And I agree with you, God. And I am sorry. I want to repent of that. I want to make no provision for the flesh. I don't want to tell my flesh, yeah, well, you know, we're 84.7% good, so we're fine. No, I want to kill all of the old deadness that's in me. I want to agree with God about everything. Every issue in my life. I I don't want to be unrepentant or unashamed or unabashed or habitual in any practice of anything that Scripture clearly gives me a direction on. Nothing. And so for some of us, as John said there in 1 John chapter 3, and he uses the same word, prosoo, He said, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. And he says this five times in six verses. Why does he say that? Because we have a diagnostic tool of contrast that we can look at the things that we know about God's character and nature and say, you know what, I fall a little short of that. And Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I don't meet that standard. And I agree with you, I should. It's called repentance. It's called repentance, family. That's making no provision for the flesh. That's me saying to God, God, I'm sorry. I hate what you hate, and I love what you love. And I'm tired, Lord, of the struggle with my flesh. My flesh is strong. And Lord, I admit that it's strong. Not while I'm just giving up. 
that's why the admonition is there. And those who practice such things, when you refuse to surrender to the loving grace of God, you are putting yourself in harm's way. You're you're saying with your own actions, well, God, I really don't care what you think. I'm not giving this up. I'm hanging on to it. And now for a moment, would you just go back with me? Remember these things are not all what we would call the top ten sins. Why do you think Scripture lists so many internal little things as problematic? Because God sees our hearts. And he wants to deal with everything that we are. He doesn't just want to have your drinking problem. He wants to have your anger problem. He doesn't just want to take care of your drug addiction. He wants you to get rid of the bitterness. He cares as much about the hatred that you have for your brother as he does about the person who's trapped in same-sex relationships. You get it? It's diagnostic. It's a tool. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us. Now look, I, I, I want to say to you, the answer is Christ in us. He's the hope of glory. Amen? In me still dwells no good thing. Praise God by his grace. Good things happen to me and through me because of the work of the Spirit. But that's available to everyone who's here today. And, and I want you to bow your heads right now. And if you, if you would be so kind as to be honest with God, I want to do two things. And I'm going to ask every one of you, please just bow your heads. And if you're here today and, and you are saying, Lord, there's some areas in my life where I still need some work. And, and you raise your hand right now. And I want to pray for all of us. And my hand is up with you. My hand is raised. My hand is up. There are some areas in my life where I believe God still wants to do greater work. And I want to pray for you. Father, thank you that you care about us, Lord. We who are declaring to you that we still have work to do in our lives, Lord. I I join with my brothers and sisters. And Lord, I want to pray for those that are struggling with bitterness and anger. Lord, some with hatred, some with drugs and alcohol, some with relationships. Lord, these areas of societal sin to where we're just continuing down a road that's fruitless. And Lord, we cry out to you and we say, God, deliver us from our minds, from the thoughts of our flesh. We're asking you to heal us right now, Lord. Make us better. Lord, we're tired of the struggle and the stress and the strain. And so, Lord, would you please, in a new way and in a fresh way, come into our lives right now and deliver us from the hand of the wicked one. Lord, those things that are in us, we, 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 we say to you right now, there's stuff in us that doesn't belong there. God, please. Maybe it's just some little thing, but that little thing might grow into a big thing. And so we're giving you the little things before they come a big thing. Father, heal us. And I want to ask right now, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, 
This is a different prayer. But you want to know Jesus today. And you're saying, look, I've been walking my own way and I want to know him. I want to know the king and I want to be set free. If that's you, raise your hand right now. And I want to pray for you. See those hands. These hands to my right, to my left. Hands are up around the sanctuary. I want to pray with you. Simple prayer. You've got to mean this one from your heart. I can't pray this one really for you, but I can lead you. Would you pray to receive Christ right now? Dear Jesus, I confess my sin. I announce to you and before this congregation, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I'm asking you to come into my life and forgive those sins. To inscribe my name in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, I offer my life to you for your glory. Pray that you'd use it. Lord, protect me from the attacks of my mind, this world, the devil. Thank you for saving me. I believe you died on Calvary's cross to pay the penalty of my sin. And I receive that exchange, Lord, your life for mine by faith. Bless me as I begin my journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Those of you that prayed that last prayer, right after service, we'd, we'd encourage you to go over to our prayer room, get a get started packet, and begin your walk with the Lord. Let somebody pray with you. Tell them about your decision to follow Christ today.